Um, today, we are uh, going to be in Acts chapter 6 through Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 3. Now, this is the story of Stephen's life, and so I began the week by studying Stephen, his life, you know, getting through all this, and it struck, something struck me. I saw something I'd never seen before, so here's what I want to do. If you have not read Acts 6 through Acts 8, 3, I invite you to do that. Um, read about the story of Stephen's life and just the way he steps into his God calling and the ministry he has. Let that speak to you. Um, I, however, am going to look at these verses from a different angle today because there is a burning lesson for today's church that I can't wait to share with you. So let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the ministry of your word. Thank you, God, that through your word and by your spirit, you bring us to spiritual life. You grow us up. And so, Father, we want that to just be fully mature in Christ. We want to see with you. We want to imagine with you. We want to be, want you, you to raise us up in every possible way and make us into the church of Jesus Christ burning brightly in this age. So we uh, just commit ourselves in this word to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Acts, again, uh, 6 through Acts 8.3, and we are going to discover four dynamics of a healthy church that jump out of this passage. Um, there are more than four, to be sure, but I'll tell you this. If you get these four right, you can't go too wrong as a church, okay? So let's get to it, all right? Um, we'll start with verse 1, Acts 6.1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Um, okay, so verse 1 uh, reveals a problem, okay? There's a problem in the first church, and it is a problem that most church people and most church leaders would love to have, okay? The problem is explosive growth. Um, if you can do the math here, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you where the, the pieces of the math formula are. Um, start with Acts 115, Acts 241, Acts 247, Acts 44, and Acts 514. Okay, there's a math equation there. And if you do the math, what you discover is this. They start with 120 followers in uh, Acts 115. But as you go along through those verses, and you read a few specific numbers and the people being added daily, what you come away with when by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, believe it or not, is over 20,000 people, okay? Now, from Acts 1 to Acts 6, there's a time span. You know, for us, it's five chapters, right? We do that in like 20 minutes. It's actually three to four years. So in three to four years, they've gone from 120 to over 20,000 people, okay? I mean, let that sink in. I mean, I've heard of some church growth, but this is incredible, right? And you're talking, because it's the, the, the uh, ancient Near East, you're talking about people from all walks of life coming together at top speed to form this gigantic community for Jesus. Okay, translation, that is a whole lot of ministry for 12 apostles who were the only leaders. So, so the, these guys are, they're kind of in a pickle before we find out what the, what the issue here. Now, one of their main ministries back in those days, very important ministry, 
was uh, to widows and orphans. Um, Scripture is very clear about this. Uh, do not neglect ministry to widows and orphans and the poor as well. Very important. And especially back then, if you were an older woman, okay, especially an older widow, your husband had died, and throw in there that you don't have any kids, you were in trouble in this society. And so it was very important that someone step up, and the church has. The first church has stepped up to care for widows, and here they're doing it at the most basic level, feeding them. All right? So, so here we are with this ministry. Well, it turns out from verse 1 that some of the widows are being overlooked in the Meals on Wheels program. Okay? Um, they, they just are. But here's the thing. This is a problem with a fix. Right? Just tell your leaders. Make sure they know. And if your leaders are godly, if they're compassionate, if they're caring, that they will find some way to, to make sure ministry makes its way around, that they, they will make it right. The problem here, though, is that folks are complaining, and, and we, we want to be very careful here with this word to understand what it means. Um, if you look at the English, it's complained against, all right? Um, uh, some of uh, uh, the, the, the Jews complained against some of the others. Okay, you begin to get the feel, break it down even more in the Greek, that this word translates to grumbling about, murmuring about, rumoring. So what people are doing here in this first church, and this is a first century phenomenon, right? They're chatting in little groups um, uh, 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 behind people's backs, and what they're doing is they're assigning shame, blame, and they are talking about who is lame, okay? That's exactly what this means here. And, uh, you know, you can imagine the chatter, things like, well, you know, if our leadership had a clue around here, our widows wouldn't be starving in the alleyways, right? Or just wait, wait till there's a second church, honey. Right now, we only got one. As soon as there's a second church, I am out of here, right? So it's that kind of thing going on. And I notice nobody's laughing too hard right now. But anyway, that's okay. But so instead of there is a problem. We have a problem. What's going on is they're the problem. It's those people over there. And listen, we can all identify with this, okay? Let, let's keep it real. We can identify with this. I, I'll tell you a story about me. When I, when I was a little kid, I still remember this. We were having a Sunday school lesson, a couple of teachers, and they were teaching us a still remember this. Wow, I'm so old, and I, I get this. Uh, we And we had a felt board, okay? So this is how long ago it was. They're teaching us about the greatest commandment, okay? Love of God comes first, love of neighbor before ourself. So the lesson was all about serving other people, believing the best, honoring one another. It was a pretty powerful lesson, I guess. Well, I remember right after the Sunday school, we were waiting for our parents to come get us, and as kids are being dismissed, I heard our teachers talking. <laughs> and they were running down the pastors and the deacons and just talking about what was lame around the church. And I remember as a little kid going, wait a minute, well, well, they're not supposed to be talking like that. I remember, though, as a young adult being a member of a church and me and some of my friends doing the same, talking about leadership and other things and thinking to myself, the Holy Spirit was even speaking to me going, Steve, you guys are not supposed to be talking like that. But also keeping it real, I have been on church staffs for the better part of 30 years, and there have been times on staffs where, you know, somebody's 
you know, maybe making waves or making like hard, life hard for us. And the staff starts doing the same thing and the same thought comes. So look, this is a world we all live in. And we can quote scripture all day long because there's so much in the word of God about our speech. But the point is this, in God's family, we are called to speak blessing and not curse, life and not death. We, we're called to build people up, believe the best, encourage one another, and not, you know, complain in corners and harp on people's mistakes and slander one another. So what happens, what we get in verse uh, one here is these people serve as an example, uh, an example to us and a caution against toxic chatter, that there's just no place for this in the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because again, godly leaders will hear you, they'll pray over a situation, and they'll come up with a godly solution. Now, if they won't, you have a much bigger problem, okay? You got a leadership problem, and you know, sometimes you got to do something about that as well. So healthy church dynamic number one is that we speak life about people and to people, even when it's truth, even when we confront. We speak life and not death to one another, okay? So healthy dynamic number two out of Acts 6-2. See if you can pick this one up. So... The 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of God's word in order to wait on tables. Now, here what's great is we see that the apostles are pretty emotionally healthy, okay? They're a spiritually mature group of people because what do they not do? They don't defend, they don't deflect, right? They don't power up, but they also don't do something else that happens a lot in ministry. They don't double down on their workload and try and solve this in their own strength. I love that. They own the problem, okay? And there is some admission here. What they're saying is, you know what? We have a calling. Uh, God has called us to a specific task. It's the ministry of the word and prayer, and we've kind of gotten sidetracked. We, we need to return to our original assignment that God gave us. Do you know how many churches would be in such a better place if, we'll just take me, okay? Pastors didn't try and do it all. Have you ever seen this happen in a church? A, pa a pastor just does everything, and, and sometimes that happens because a pastor is fearful and insecure. So the pastor's thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't go to this, uh, this group of people is going to be upset with me. If I don't show up over there, and you know, if, I, if fear and insecurity, and it, it's kind of yuck. Sometimes it's about pride. I hope you've never seen this one. But when, when a pastor feels like, or what they're doing is, I'm going to build my own private empire instead of the kingdom of God. And I've, I've worked on a staff like that before where the, the pastor was like, I'm doing all the preaching and I'm doing all the teaching. I'm making all the decisions and I'll be the face of the church. Oh gosh, it's so toxic. It's so dangerous. But you know what it does, too, to the church? It cripples the church. Why? Because there, I've never met a pastor who's the head, the arms, the feet. The, I mean, that goes against the very word of God. The gifts are spread about in, in the church of Jesus Christ. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, sometimes a church puts this on a pastor. I had some fun today, and I almost did this. Okay, but the, 
you know, the more mature part of me said, don't do this, Steve. But I went and I looked at job postings for pastors. It is incredible, some of the stuff I saw. Churches that wanted a pastor to be a preacher, teacher, head of staff, counselor, the whole visitation team, chair every committee, be the CFO, uh, the CEO, the CPA, the C3PO, the ASAP, the TGIF. It was incredible. I was like, this is nuts. Nobody could do all this. You know, God helped the person who does, but God helped the church that expects that. And the point is just this. If the apostles had limits and they knew what those limits were, so did today's leaders. So no one can do it all. And bless the apostles for being a great example of that. All right. So healthy dynamic number two, leaders know and they stay within their gifting and their calling. And by the way, that can't be an excuse not to do stuff either, you know. They can be flipped the other way. Okay, so here's number three out of Acts 6, 3 through 6, and this is my favorite one. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, or Parmenas, that's good enough. Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, I love this, okay? This is my favorite part of Acts chapter 6, as now they choose seven other people to run this program, okay? We're going to do a little context, uh, contextual uh, work from Scripture here. We know from context that these seven men have the gift to run this program, right? Uh, these are our people, and we'll see it play out. But even here, you know they're wired like deacons. Uh, a ministry of service, compassion, care. They are chosen because they are competent. It's just, it's got to be true from Scripture. But here's what's incredible. Scripture does not say one word about their administrative gifting. There's nothing there. You know, oh, and Stephen was really good with the sign-up board. Boy, he could get volunteers. And, and, you know, Nicanor here, boy, he could drive a camel around town and deliver food. We don't get any of that. All we get about these leaders is a statement of spiritual character. I just think it's so beautiful. Verse 3, they need to be known as men full of spirit, the spirit of God, and wisdom. Verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Spirit. What's the point? It's a very simple point. The point is that in the church of Jesus Christ, when it comes to leadership, spiritual character comes before practical competency. It's always been that way into the church. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean to say that competency isn't important. Like, yeah, you need to have the wiring of an elder to be an elder, the wiring of a deacon to be a, a deacon. If you're going to teach, it'd probably be a good idea if you're actually good at it, right? That's important. But who a person is in Christ, spiritual character is more important. I'll tell you a story. Uh, an author named Simon Sinek uh, he tells the story of interviewing the head of SEAL Team 6. 
man, I would have loved to have done this interview myself. So he, he, he's writing a book. He wants to, to, to use some dynamics. So he says to this guy, um, the SEAL Team 6, they are the best of the best. How in the world do you choose guys for this? And he said, oh, it's really simple. We only have two measures. We, we only have two questions that we're answering when we're selecting the, the best soldiers out there. Uh, the two questions are, how do they perform on the battlefield and how do they perform off the battlefield? Obviously, he said, nobody wants a low performer on the battlefield and a low performer in life, but finding a high performer on the battlefield and a high performer in life is, is, is really tough. And so what we've learned is that high character is more important than, than uh, even, even low performance. You can take someone with high character and you can, you can actually train them for battle, but you can't take someone with low character and, and, and unwork that. And what happens is when you get a high performer who, who, who just really doesn't have the character, the, the team is toxic, the missions are toxic, it never works. So we can train you for battle, but we can't retrain your character. Evie Hill. Has anyone ever heard of Evie, Evie Hill? Great preacher out of California. Man, he could lay it down, y'all. I'm telling you. Uh, Evie Hill was amazing. But he said this about leadership. He said, I will take a godly pastor over a great preacher every single time. Every single time. And so in the church, what happens when it comes to leadership is we can't choose leaders only because they're winners right, in the business world, or, or they, they've, they've just got incredible giftings, uh, or, you know, they can really shake and bake in society. We've really got to look at godliness. I remember I was in a church one time, and we had to hire a pastor, and I was part of the congregation, and we found this dude. Y'all, this guy could preach. I mean, he could preach Eskimos into buying ice cubes. He was brilliant. He was a tyrant, too stepped on people, you know, wouldn't go out to visit if his life depended on it because he was so important. It, the gifting, it, it just didn't matter. It didn't matter how gifted the guy was because he had a toxic character. And, and so I'll tell you this, for me, as a pastor working, we'll just say with elders, I have found this. I have had elders before come on the elder board, and maybe they're not the most gifted elder coming in that you've ever seen, but they are godly and they will pray, and they will listen to the voice of God every single time. That session is amazing. So, so you can take a person who's just really godly and will seek the face of God, and man, they're living that grace commandment. They're phenomenal elders every single time. I'll tell you this too. <laughs> every, every problem elder I've ever served with in my 24 years in ministry, and there are none right now. So you guys all breathe sigh of relief right now. Absolutely. No, but any, any, and it's happened a few times though, where we really have a problem person on session every single time. They had glaring emotional and spiritual issues coming in the door, but they were elected anyway. Why were they elected? Because somehow the church got the cart before the horse. All of us did, you know, and maybe we needed that warm body so desperately or, you know, the, the, the person was just really successful, uh, may have a great social status, but we focused on the wrong thing, put the wrong person in, and it, it really turned out to, to be a struggle. So healthy dynamic number one, our words are life. 
Healthy dynamic number two, leaders stay within their gifting. And dynamic number three, we put godly people in leadership. Now onto dynamic number four. You'll never guess what it is. Um, it flows from the rest of the passage. So Acts 6, 7, all the way to 8, 3, and um, it, is, it is the life of Stephen. And I will summarize it very long. I encourage you to read it. But what happens is that Stephen begins in ministry, and uh, he is something to see. Uh, he, he ministers in the power of the Spirit. He preaches Christ. He's just this godly ministering guy, and he's arrested for it. And he's thrown in jail by the same jealous group from the week before, right? So, so he, he's moving in the power of God, thrown in jail. He becomes the victim of a whole lot of lying. Um, there is just a smear campaign of false accusations. So it's literally Stephen and all these false witnesses, and they're tearing him to pieces. Well, finally, Stephen is given the chance to defend himself. You'll never guess what he does. Stephen doesn't speak to the charges. Stephen uses the opportunity to preach. He preaches for 53 verses to this court. And because it, it, they're, they're Jewish leaders, he preaches to them in a way that they can understand. He uses the Old Testament, okay? So they know the Old Testament. He walks them through the Old Testament. He talks about the temple, Abraham, Joseph, and Moses, and he uses them to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that even though we are sinners and we're all sinners, God offers us salvation, forgiveness, and life through his righteous one, Jesus Christ. And he also tells them the truth, like Peter did the week before, that they did have a hand in killing Christ, that, that they were behind the crucifixion. But he's offering them a chance to be clean and free of that. So here is their moment of decision, right? What do they do? They drag Stephen out of town and they stone him to death. And even as Stephen is dying, he, he ends his life in Acts 7, 59, and 60, like Jesus did on the cross, saying, Father, receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against them. It's beautiful. It's touching. It's a heart-wrenching scene. It'll speak to you if you read it. But the question we all have right now is, okay, what in the world does that have to do with healthy dynamic number four? What is it out of that? And it's very simple. It's that whether times are good or bad in the church, whether we face peace or persecution, the church is to keep its focus, its message, its programming, its ministry centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never graduate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is organized around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are about the good news of Jesus. That's the point here. Tim Keller, if you're wondering what the gospel is, Tim Keller states it this way. So the gospel is that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and restoring the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. Paul actually puts it a little more simply in 1 Corinthians 2.2 when he said, I resolved to know nothing 
when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's it. There it is. This is what we are to be about. And I think I can say this, and folks in the room and online would agree, but too often in the church, we, we kind of get a little Martha syndrome going on. You know, we, we kind of get caught up in other things. It happens to the best of us, um, but we do, you know, and things we get caught up to, with today in the church, uh, often it's money or the lack thereof. Um, it's people and the lack thereof, uh, excellence in ministry or the lack thereof. But see, the problem with that, and, and again, those are things that, that do matter to a certain degree, but the problem, what happens to the church is we then begin to fall into the very thing we were rescued from, which is a life of fear and a life of worry. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, that's a waste of time. You belong to me. Worrying your life away, it's a waste of time. Worrying about stuff that God has already promised to provide you, it's a waste. But then he goes on to say in Matthew 6 that what is a great use of our time down here is seeking first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is all about salvation in Christ, growing up into maturity in Christ and life in Christ. And so, by the grace of God, may we be a healthy church with clean lips, with godly leadership, and with a great big gospel heart. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for these beautiful stories, this rich living history in Acts. And Father, we, we don't want to be a people who look back and say those were the best of times. But we want to be a people that have said just what Paul said earlier in his prayer, that we have taken ourselves into the adventure with you, that in every respect we have said yes, we've invited you to work on who we are, to, to turn what is uh, ugly or empty about us into fullness and, and wholeness. God, to strengthen us, to, to give us a burning vision straight from the Word of God, to be filled and empowered and fueled by your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you. I thank you for what lies ahead for the church. Father, we, we thank you that so often when there is just a really tough time in history like we've just been through, that we, we, we see an incredible resurgence of the kingdom of God and the people of God. And we just thank you that we are right here, right now, with doors wide open, fields white with harvest, and um, God with a burning calling to, to, to live to be the people of God in this world. In Jesus' name.